This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Pastors, we're not trying to expose ourselves here in the sense to embarrass or to put ourselves down. We didn't expose our hearts and say, Lord, heal us. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, Conversations on Faith and Ministry. My guest today is Dale Sellers of The 95 Network, which provides resources for the 90% of churches that are not large. In this conversation, Dale and I, who's an old friend, we talk about some of the important issues facing small churches as we come out of the pandemic and look ahead to what I think is going to be five to ten years of fallout, including the need for rest and soul care for pastors, why the expected wave of pastoral resignations hasn't happened like I thought it would, what to do instead of chasing absent members, and the best places to invest our limited energy. All of that and more in a wide-ranging, fun, back-and-forth conversation with Dale Sellers today. And don't forget to stick around at the end. I'll come back when the interview is done with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Hey, Dale, welcome to the podcast. It's hard to believe that I've been doing, what, 30, 40 episodes and haven't had you on as a solo guest yet. I think I was on the first one. Did yeah, we well, no, the camper? Oh, that's right. Well, we did. We did your book, Stalled. That's right. Of yeah, course we, we did. did. Yeah. We did one in the camper when you launched it around. So you're, around you're my really, first three-peat. A really weird microphone. <laughs> it was like I a, know. an around microphone. <laughs> somehow yeah, it worked and we were able to yeah. put that down and, and but here now we you've not changed the name on it i know right it's yeah. what do you think the church lobby you like it i like it man but i mean i, I like what you did before i just i just like you i mean i don't want to say that too much because <laughs> i don't want people to really know that but yeah i mean i i do think that's probably a good idea yeah i mean yeah. honestly I, I you know we haven't we haven't even done intros or whatever but our name 95 network i did not create that name it was created by right. jim powell and the folks who founded 95 network i probably wouldn't name it that if if i could because you have to explain yeah. it and a good name is one you don't have to explain you know and, and especially you know back in before covid you know 95% of all churches were small and mid-sized i think it's the percentage maybe 98 but we're not changing our name to 98% yeah yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I've, I've learned even recently, and because naming things is hard, and, and and at times it can really help you. But every once in a while, it's like, who cares that Amazon is called Amazon? What does Amazon have to do with selling stuff? What does Google even mean, right? I mean, nope. Facebook that makes sense, but Twitter, why does that? Why is it? You know, it, it's kind of like once a thing kind of locks into it, the name doesn't really matter all that much. But and that's, and that's why we haven't changed the name. Is we've been out here so long now, and and we do have somewhat name recognition in some places that it just didn't make sense to go and change it all so anyway okay so you are called 95 network to bring all of my listeners up to speed in case they don't know why is the ministry called 95 network and what does it do so before the pandemic and i have articles about this in my book stalled that basically 95 percent of all the churches in america had less than 500 people attending 
and then 87% had less than 200 people attending, and then 75% of all the churches in America had less than 100 people attending. So the small and the mid-sized church is, has been, will always probably be the backbone of the church in America. For me personally, because I did pastor a small church for 12 years, and it grew from 30 to 300 to 150 in the eighth year because of a split. And then the, after 12 years, we closed it. <laughs> so I'm a guru. But because of that experience, I have this tremendous passion to support the small church pastor, to come along beside, but but not to, I don't leave them in their, sometimes it's not that they're lost. They're just, they, they get left behind or we're left behind. I tell everybody we live in the residue of the seeker and the attractional movements. And so, you know, if you went to a conference, you were glad you could see those churches doing what they're doing, but nothing they talked about was transferable to, to what you were doing. Uh, and so I just said, I want to, I want to resource these folks. I want to support them. They're the majority. And I just feel like they're the most under-resourced. And so at 95 Network, uh, we do what we call the five C's. The first thing we do uh, is called content. We do a weekly podcast. Uh, we do articles and stuff and everything is broad in nature of what we cover, but everything was from a small church perspective or how it could relate to small churches. We do connections, which is, you know, one of the reasons you and I are friends uh, is if there's things you offer, I want to hand those off. And I don't, I don't need to do everything. If Carl Vader's does something better than Dale, I want people to go to Carl. So we have all these strategic partners and even just ministries we've found that are specialized in things. And we hand our, our folks off to them. Uh, we do conferences. We, uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit, but we've been doing the several different conferences we've done over the last few years, try to do them in, in settings to where, you know, 30, 40 pastors are there. We'd like to do them in a, like a fellowship hall around round tables, no lights, no music. And it's not that I'm against lights or music, but we want the focus that day to be just pouring into the pastors. And, and so this, we've been doing those conferences. Uh, we do consulting when what we do specifically in that arena is a thing we call vision day. Just got back from Missouri uh, as we record this. I've been in Missouri this weekend working with the church out in the, in the boonies of Missouri, working with them doing vision day. And vision day is a specific process that we lead a church through that's for that individual church, for its staff and its elders. We all come together. We start at nine in the morning. We're done around four in the afternoon. Uh, and we and we work through that those particular processes and of things like what are do you really have mission and vision clarity do you know why you exist and we talk about you know having a a, a pinpointed audience that you're really going for and and just really trying to find one thing push it to the surface one thing that if your church works on this one thing it'll solve some other problems because you know as I, I as I do Carl that in the small church space we typically do twenty or thirty things poorly instead of one or two things really well. Yeah. And so, so, we, you know, we do that. And then the last thing we have is we call coaching and we've got four coaching tracks that we offer to help the small and mid-sized churches. So that's an overview of what we do. And then you and I will talk a little bit more later today about a new emphasis that came out of last year that we'll, we'll dive into in a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I wanted you uh, on today for is we're coming out of, you know, coming out of the pandemic season. And I know for a lot of folks, it's like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but we have to, because it is going to impact the way we are doing ministry. It has, it is, and it will for at least a decade. We are, we are going to live in the residue of this for a long period of time and simply ignoring it and wishing it away isn't going to resolve the questions and the issues that it's raised, we got to face it head on. So I want I want to do it in, in, in a couple of ways. First of all, okay. I think both of you, because we've had conversations about this. One of the things that I think both of us have recognized is that for up until very recently in both the ministries we do, which as 
my listeners, if you've heard it, you're going, there's a lot of overlap between their two ministries. And yes, there is, because mm-hmm. there's a big need and we are not in each other's way. Not at all. <laughs> there's a lot of space in this mm-hmm. big room here for mm-hmm. all of us. We both recognize that the way I like to put it is this, up until very recently, the primary need for small church pastors were small church specific resources. So resourcing was my big push. Now, resourcing is still a major need, but what has leapfrogged over it and is now the biggest need that I'm hearing from pastors of small churches is not for resources, it's for rest. They're tired, they need a break, they're exhausted. They already were, but the pandemic, the lockdowns, the arguments that are happening among church members, the lack of regular members coming back again has got everybody in a place of exhaustion that I've never seen before. And so the idea of providing rest and as you do with soul care, uh, specifically with your, with the new aspect of your ministry, you've launched called soul care essentials, really big deal. What have you seen on that and how is it playing out in your world? Well, I think the, for, first of all, I, I have been saying this for a while. I believe that we're in the midst of a reformation. And what I mean by that is, is how we do church in America post-pandemic, it's just going to be different than it was before. Now, some of the things that we were focusing on, we were focusing on trying to help churches with before, but there wasn't enough pain for them to change. Now there is. I wrote an article a couple of years ago, or not a couple of years ago, last year, and it was called Seven Years in Seven Weeks. And I believe what happened was, I don't believe any church is going to close specifically because of the pandemic. I believe the pandemic was an accelerator. And if you were on the right trajectory as you started, okay, it was hard. It was difficult. I'm not saying it was easy, but you got through it. But if you were on the wrong trajectory, you didn't know what to do. And so the the stress that you already had as a small church pastor or a mid-sized church pastor, no matter what size your church is, if it's more of you doing it all, that stress increased exponentially. And so what we have always known is this, the biggest area I believe pastors are huge hypocrites in is doing Sabbath. I don't think we've done Sabbath well. We preach about Sabbath. We talk about Sabbath, but we personally don't do it. And there's this mindset that has existed. And I didn't go to, I didn't go to formal seminary. So I didn't hear this kind of stuff personally, but I've heard pastors tell me that their seminary professors would say things like, well, you know, when you're out there pastoring, uh, you know, you can't let anybody see any chinks in your armor. You can't let them know that you're hurting. You you know, you gotta, you gotta put on the face of Jesus and, and be, you know, be all this and, and crazy things like this. If you'll take care of God's family, he'll take care of your family. And that's just hogwash. So the pandemic accelerated all this stuff. Yep. And so on this side of it, and I don't believe that we're through it all completely, but on this side of it all, we have just seen in the last two years, uh, a ton of pastors just going, I'm done. And it's not because they're ungodly and it's not because they're quitters and it's not because they don't love Jesus. They don't know what to do and they're tired. And if I could just go to a biblical reference and I, and I referenced this story in my book and I've talked about it for 40 years of ministry. You know, when Elijah, uh, Elijah was an absolute man of God. I mean, the dude prayed, it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. The man prayed for fire for fall from heaven and it falls. But you remember after he'd been going and going and pouring and pouring and giving out when he, he took out all the prophets of Baal and Jezebel said, I'm going to help me if I don't do to you tomorrow what you've done. And what does he do? He panics and he runs and none of that makes any sense. Well, the reason he panics and he ran, he was exhausted. And I will say this too, Elijah literally looks at, and not looks at, but in a conversation with God at the mouth of the cave, he literally lies to God because he says, and I'm the only one left. 
Well, he he knew better than that. <laughs> he, he knew that there were at least fifty thousand, yeah. uh, fifty pro, uh, fifty of God's people in one cave and fifty in another. Uh, that he already knew about that because Obadiah had told him about it. He also yeah. knew that you know God had said, "Hey, look, there's seven thousand others. You're not the only one." But when you're exhausted, you lose perspective. And remember, he laid down under a tree and said, "I want to die." That's where we are. <laughs> Over the last couple of years, there were a lot of surveys done and a lot of reports coming out. And I even said, I think we're heading for a huge wave of pastoral resignations. That has not come about. There are no higher resignation percentages, at least not significantly higher than, than expected, because I think what's happened is rather than resign, people are just the walking wounded. So they're staying in their position because it's what they know. It's what they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. It's where they can earn a paycheck. And I'm not saying that in any way that pastors are in it for the money. It's simply because it's too exhausting to go somewhere else and to learn a new skill. And I can just stay here and just kind of, you know, lick my own wounds. And they don't, I think we do it subconsciously. So what you've got is you don't have a lot of pastors leaving physically, but they've checked out spiritual and emotionally in a lot of different places. That's what I'm seeing. I say that entirely and totally with a sympathetic heart and not with the judgmental one. What bothers me the most too is, okay, so that pressure at some point, you got to deal with it. I don't want to see you have a moral failure. I don't want to see you end up in the hospital because of the stress. I've been there. I'm the poster boy, you know, had my quadruple bypass surgery at 53 caused by stress. All I know is you can't just keep hiding. You can't just keep trying to shift the spotlight. If there's anything that I did learn from John Maxwell in the early days, he talked about how that, you know, when you're over your head, you'll spend 75% of your energy trying to hide that from everybody. Mm. Well, if you're already exhausted, you know, you're trying to get the spotlight to shine in other places. So it doesn't shine on you. And what we want to do is we want to shine the spotlight on you, not to condemn you, not to put you down, but to help you because without healthy pastors, we're not going to have healthy churches. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of that energy expenditure. I think you're right. The hiding of it is a massive energy expenditure. This is actually something neurobiologically. I talk about this now in some of my talks because my friend, Lori Andrews, who helped me with some neurobiology, but it is some further research. Our brain, like on a passive day where you just tired and you lounge around the house because it's your day off, your brain can burn somewhere between 25 to 30% of your energy in a given day. It's just sitting there in your cranium, but it is an electrical power station. It is constantly firing electricity and constantly using up energy, which is why, for instance, when we're learning something new, at the end of the day, we see I'm mentally exhausted. You, in fact, are also physically exhausted. The energy has has been drained from your body. Mm -hmm. And when you're under stress, that increases it even more. So it's an actual energy depletion of your body that we're going through, the greater the stress we're going through, and all these things that are happening. And we've got to... We've got to acknowledge the stress that we are all under. If we don't, then we're going to continue to just simply this feeling of spinning our wheels becomes another level of exhaustion as well. That's one level of exhaustion we've talked about. Another level of exhaustion, in addition to this idea of trying to hide it and therefore burning all this mental exhaustion is a lot of pastors that I'm seeing are spending way too much of their emotional and spiritual energy trying to go backwards. Mm, That's... So true. Like there was always that little bit of, Hey, you can't, you can't, you know, you got to stop living in the 1990s or whatever. That was always a part of what you and I did with a lot of churches, Mm -hmm. but now it's not a going back to the 1990s. It's going back to 2019. We just want to get back to pre pandemic levels of attendance or levels of enthusiasm or levels of involvement or levels of giving or levels of energy or whatever. We want to go back to 2019. Talk about a waste of energy. (laughs) 
consuming energy trying to go back to a previous place mm-hmm. is as wasteful as energy can possibly be because you cannot move in that direction. So if we are not going to go back to that, what should our energy be expended upon instead? Getting healthy. And I don't mean your church. I mean you. Mm. it's just been ignored. It's just flat out been ignored and it's been accepted to be ignored. I mean, how many times has a pastor got up and talked about, Oh, I just barely have my burning the candle at both ends. And I'm just so tired and I'm so exhausted. And and, and it's like, this is some kind of badge of honor. It's not. And, and the reason I can say that with, with so much belief is because there's this guy in the Bible named Jesus and we kind of, you know, should pattern what we do after him. He modeled for us constantly getting away, constantly trying to replenish. And we don't do that. Uh, My friend, Lance Witt, who wrote the book, Replenish, and had him on the podcast recently because he'd written a new book about healthy teams. He made this statement, and, and, and honestly, it sits in my mind every day. He said that medical research has proven that that 75% of all health issues for anybody over 60 are preventable. 75%. 75% of all health issues over 60 are preventable. And and so we've lived in this time. You grew up in it. I grew up in it where you just ignore your health and wear yourself Mm -hmm. out. And and, and I'm going to dive into something here too. You know, so I grew up over here. I'm in the South. I'm in South Carolina. And so, you know, I grew up here about preaching about things like, well, you know, we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't date girls that do. I mean, that was, we were always focusing on, you know, smoking and drinking and all that kind of stuff. But that same pastor would get up and preach and he'd weigh 400 pounds because he eats too much fried chicken. If the issue of the sin there is your health, is that not being extremely hypocritical? And I guess some people just drove out of the road when I said that, but it's just, we got to be honest. We're not going to solve these problems by not coming clean about them. And I will say this too, and I think you could speak to this even more than I could because you're in California and and you're ahead of things on this. If we're out of shape and we literally don't take care of ourselves, I think it's going to hinder our ability to really connect with the next generations. They value that stuff. And so they may like us, but they look at us and they go, okay, wait a minute. Now, you've told me that I need to study the Bible and I need to pray and I need to have all these spiritual disciplines, but you can't push back from that third helping of mac and cheese. Yep. I've had those. Okay, little... if we get real on this podcast. No, yeah. I've had those actual conversations with younger generations yeah. and I've been in the room with it where we've been around a circle and they'll say, they'll say exactly that. So you're talking about this particular sexual sin is wrong or that particular sexual mm-hmm. sin is wrong or what having a glass of wine with dinner is wrong, whatever, whatever the subject du jour mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. to be, but they just, what you did, but we've got all these pastors out there who are overweight. And I've watched as other pastors have dismissed that with a wave of the hand as though that young person is simply looking for an excuse to sin. And that's not what now are there are people out there looking for an excuse to sin? Yeah. Some pastors too, sure. <laughs> sure. but sure. that's not the primary thing that I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is, wait a minute. The Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy spirit, right? That we're supposed to serve and worship God within our body, that what we do with our bodies matters. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is really clear. In fact, the argument could be made for some of the, for some, not all, but for some of the particular sexual conversations we have about sexual sin, mm-hmm. there is more mentioned about gluttony in the Bible than there are about certain sexual sins that we spend a whole lot of time talking about. Mm-hmm. And gluttony is overconsumption, not just physically, but mm-hmm. financially and in everything else. So the multiple rings on the fingers can be just as prideful and just as sinful. Yep. 
as eating too much. It, gluttony yeah. is about overconsumption of goods beyond, beyond any reasonable expectation of what your needs might mm-hmm. be. And when they point that out, we have to discern, we have to hear them, first of all, and understand what they're, where they're, when they're coming from. Every time I've heard that come, especially from someone in the younger generation, mm-hmm. I have never detected a note of excuse making in it. This is a, a serious question that they are asking themselves and asking of us, and we need to be able to answer it cleanly and clearly. And if we are sinning in that area, we need to confess that. And then we need to get our acts together. So without beating everybody up for being overweight or whatever, that's not the intent of this. The intent of this is saying, listen, guys, you're doing that because you're a human being and human beings are not designed to carry all this. So we, so, so you're in a denomination that you can't drink and you're in one, you can't smoke and you're in one that, you know, you can't do all this other stuff. You still got to find some way to medicate. And what we've done, we've come up with acceptable ways of medicating ourselves because we're not healthy because we've been given this bill of goods that says we're supposed to be able, I'll use this example. I was watching the, you know, there's the Jason Bourne movies and there's one that Jeremy Renner did. And when he's doing that one, uh, he, the scene is he's come out of a, a situation to where he'd gone into something and the surveillance was wrong and he must've killed a bunch of innocent people. And so his, uh, his commander is telling him, listen, look at me, look at me. He said, we are the sin eaters. And we have to put this stuff down inside us. We put it and we don't talk about it. We lock it away and we never, there are a lot of pastors, I think, who think of themselves as not Jesus's place, but that we take all this stuff on ourselves and it's not healthy. So as a human, it's got to come out somewhere. That's why we still keep seeing statistics that tell us that a very large percentage of pastors look at porn. And what blows my mind, Carl, is okay. Who are the pastors who are honest enough to even on an anonymous survey to say they're struggling with that? Exactly. So for, oh, yeah. So for them to even admit it, it's got to be yeah. huge. And yeah. so we're just, we have moved, we have shifted on this side of the pandemic to a place to where I don't believe Jesus was going to let us go forward till we begin to deal with this stuff. We've got to get healthy and our souls, not just spiritual. You know, I mean, you know what it's like, Carl, when you, you look on Facebook and some pastor goes, you know, I'm so discouraged. I've been praying. I've been, I've been reading the word. I've been preaching. I've been fasting and, and my church isn't growing. And some well-meaning pastor will come on and say, oh, brother, you just need to pray more. Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe mm-hmm. she doesn't. Maybe what they need to do is take care of themselves so they can see what's going on around them because you lose perspective when you, you just can't handle all this stuff. Yeah. We've got to broaden our understanding of all of these issues, depending on the background you're, you're coming from. And because of the ministry that I do, I, I spend time with almost every church group you can imagine. And there are different cultures from different church backgrounds that emphasize some sins and ignore others. Yep. And if you go through the, the category of the denominations, you'll find at some point or another, virtually every sin is ignored in at least one of them. And Absolutely. virtually every sin is the emphasis of at least one of them. <laughs> and almost nobody has a a really balanced approach to all of this. They wave off the ones that are not of a concern to their particular group, and they get hyper concerned about the ones that are of particular concern to their group. And it's not a biblical balance at all. So what's detrimental about this though, is these generations coming up behind us, they want authenticity. Yeah. They can Google if you get up and tell something that's not true. Mm -hmm. And they will. They'll do it while you're preaching. Yep. And, and so that's why this, there's this shift happening. Pastors, we're not trying to expose ourselves here in the sense to embarrass or to put ourselves down. We didn't expose our hearts and say, Lord, heal us. 
We need healing. We got to come clean, God. We got to come clean. Yeah, absolutely. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. I want to take a a right turn shift here. It's still about post-pandemic church, but uh, something that's really more um, institutional than it is personal. I I had a conversation recently with a pastor and he expressed something that is really true of a whole lot of our churches right now. So I think a conversation between you and me about this can help a lot of people. Uh, The conversation went like this. You know, I was asking him, how's the church going and how's it been since pandemic? And his basic numbers were they've been running 140 for quite some time since pandemic. They've been running 90 and he has now realized the other 50 aren't coming back. And so he said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with my leaders and volunteers who were left. And I said, we have got to stop thinking of ourselves as a church of 140. We're not anymore. We have to think of ourselves as a church of 90. So I said, why? What's the value of that to you? I understood and agreed with it, but I wanted to hear from him. He said, here's the way it is. If we continue to see ourselves as a church of 140, we could grow by 50%. We could go from 90 and add 45 people and be a church of 135. We could grow by 50% in the next year and still see ourselves as a church that's down by five. That's a head game that is not healthy to play. But if we perceive ourselves accurately, we have to redefine our current reality. What's what's the old saying, right? The first job of the leader is to define reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did. He defined reality for his team. He said, our current reality is we are a church of 90. We need to staff for 90. We need to plan for 90. We need to program for 90. We need to program for health. We need to program for growth. We need to you know, look forward. We need to have faith that God will bring us forward. If we go from 90 to 100, we're not 40 down anymore. We're 10 up. That's good. That is a perspective shift. I think that is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, we throw that out to you. Yeah. Well, here, well here's okay. the problem. I mean, in, in most denominations, and, and, and I, like you, have the opportunity uh, across the country to work with all these different groups. I've, I've worked in church denominations I had not heard of until I started leading 95 Network. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, here's, so here's the thing. So how many churches inflate their attendance numbers anyway? How many right. churches, it's always been the habit to inflate their membership numbers anyway. If we get honest about that, is that not just comparison and politics and all that kind of stuff anyway. And so, so here's a church, you know, here's a church of 300 before the pandemic, even then they only had 120 coming. Right. 
so on the backside of the pandemic, the roles still say they have 300 and now they're running 80, you know? The reality is you got to be honest about your attendance. You got to be honest about how many people are coming. And I remember this is hard. I, I used to work uh, years ago. Once I came off the road, my wife and I had traveled with music group and, and I worked on staff at this church and this church ran about 1100 and I was a staff member. And honestly, Carl, the classes that I led would have 50 or 60 people. And I do evangelism outreach classes. Well, then when I go to pastor my small church that I went to our first Sunday, we got 30 people. And I'm like, man, what? I don't want to tell anybody we got 30 people. That's everybody, including the children, you know? And so that was such a shock for me. But one of the things that I did do from the beginning was I go, okay, every year we're going to, we're going to purge the role, man. If you hadn't showed up in a year, you can pop in whenever you want to. I'm not saying you can't come, but we're not going to count you as a member of the church because you obviously aren't. In some cases, some denominations and even some pastors, our ego is built on the size of of the, the numbers that we say are coming. And when it's not reality, then then you add the backside of the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the basic number I've been hearing is that 30% have just not come back. And, and that, that's not 30% of, of your fringe people. That's 30% of your people who were coming. So the yeah, first thing, the- we, you know, that, that makes what you just described even harder is the fact that we were already inflating numbers before this thing came along. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and we've been seeing the trend that we've been talking about for years of less frequent attendance, mm-hmm. which means even for those who do consider it their home church, you have a smaller percentage of in-person attendance on a typical Sunday. So yeah. there's a lot of churches out there that have been at, that have 100 people who have been calling this their church home for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. but their in-person attendance has been steadily declining. And it used to be 90. And if everybody showed up, it would be 100. And now we're at 50. And if everybody showed up, it would be 100. And that 100 is an accurate measure of those who consider it their home church. But because of infrequent attendance, the physical number of people in the room is on decline. And we need to factor that into our reality as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember Rainer said, Tom Rainer said, this has probably been, it's been about 10 years ago now he had published. And I think this is when he first came out with church autopsy, but he said that in America today, your core people who attend, who show up, who are there are going to miss church once a month. Basically, I think it had to do out with kids, sporting activities and that kind of thing. He said, those same people in 10 years are going to show up one Sunday a month. And boy, is that not, that is definitely come to bear. The church that I was doing the vision day with this past weekend, uh, they just talked about, we've got people, some of our people come once a month, some of our people come twice a month, and then we have a few families who come three times a month, but I don't think anybody comes every, every Sunday. All that shifting is happening. And what do we do when we don't know what to do? We go back to our default. And so we we start doubling down, trying to do what we did pre-pandemic, and it ain't going to work. It's not working. And it's not going to work in the future. So if that's the case, and we're looking ahead, when I go through a difficult season, I always want to learn something from it, especially when it's difficult. I'm determined to take more out of the thing than it took out of me. The only way I I know to do that is to learn. So I've been telling the congregations that I've been working with, if we look at it accurately, the last two and a half to three years of pandemic had a decade's worth of leadership lessons in it easily but we have to look at it that way. So what do you see as some of the key leadership lessons you think we can take from the last three years? Number one, pastors have got to take care of themselves personally, healthy. You know, we talked about that already. Number two, you got to learn how to build a team. I always oversimplify it by saying this, but there's this book called the Bible. There's a fellow named Jesus that started a thing called the church. And in Ephesians four, through his buddy, Paul, he told us how to do it. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you these ministry gifts. In other words, there's a certain calling I'm going to create. I'm going to create some apostles and some prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And their job 
is to equip saints to do ministry. We don't do that. Yeah. We don't yeah. do that in American churches and any denomination as a whole. Obviously, there's pockets of people who do, but as a general overstated rule, we are preaching stations. I thank God for preaching. I think preaching is awesome. I think preaching is wonderful. But the reality is this if your preaching is not equipping, then you're missing the point of preaching. Yeah. Because we are called to equip and we don't do that. So in the small church, we do it all ourselves. Now, again, that goes back to other issues like, okay, well, why don't we do it all ourselves? Do we need to be needed and all that kind of stuff? So those are the first two things. I'm health-wise, you got to take care of yourself and say, you got to start learning how to build up teams. And then the third thing that I really think would be important for every church is you've got to get some outside eyes to come in and help you evaluate where you are. A friend of mine, Michael Moore said this one time, he says, if you want to ask, uh, find out what water tastes like, don't ask a fish <laughs> because yeah. he's, uh, he's in it all the time. You know, you got to get some, you got to get some outside perspective. And let me just say this one thing here. Something that really scares me about the current climate we're in is what well, I call it the revitalization movement. Now, I thank God for revitalization if we really are doing that. What I'm concerned about is, is that so many churches are, they're, they're painting a the building, they're putting in new carpet, they're putting students on the stage, but they're not basically changing the overall emphasis of the church and how it connects with the community in the context of who they are quoting Carl, Carl Vader's. And if they're not going to do, do that, then all they've done is keep the can 10 years and it hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so many more we could do, but you and I, you and I will talk at other times and we'll, I'm on your podcast. You're on mine. I don't know mm -hmm. which is going to come out when I'm probably going to be on yours before you're on mine. It doesn't matter. But yeah. before we do it, I know the first time you were on, we went through the lightning round, but I'm going to assume in the intervening year and a half, a couple of these answers might've changed. Oh, good. Plus, you're always good for a lightning round question or two. So let me let me go at it again. First, first question in the lightning round is this. What are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years? And how have you adapted to it? Uh, well, you know, we help churches. Uh, so I'd say the things we focus on today, pastors are lost. They don't know what to do. And we have shifted what we do at 95 Network. We have not gotten rid of anything we were doing before, but we have added the soul care piece. And so we have multiple conferences coming out as we record this in the spring where we're going to, we call it soul care essentials. We have made a shift as a ministry to really begin to care for and create an atmosphere where pastors can just be transparent and honest. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for everybody if you want to get a part of that. And I really do encourage you to access all of the resources that 95 Network and Dale offers. Uh, second question, what free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you would recommend for small church ministry? What has helped me the most lately? <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I, That's not a suck up there. I mean, it's not, I'm not playing to the crowd, but, but there's just so few people leading in this space that really understand the small church. And, and, and how can I say this? So much of what so many people do out there have dollar signs tagged to it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mind people paying for resources and stuff, but the thing about you is I know your heart is to help small church pastors be successful. And so I'm sorry that that was the answer I gave, but it's, it's, it's really true. Thank you. That is very kind. All right. Number three. And if I'm the answer to the third one, we're just going to end this interview right now. <laughs> What's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? I was going through a very, very difficult time and I wanted to quit many, many years ago. And uh, there used to be a Christian music group on the road in the 70s, 80s, 90s called Truth. And the leader that is, was a guy named Roger Breland. He's a mentor of mine. And we were going through a difficult season at our church and we just could not 
I mean, excuse me, with our group on the road, we're just going through a difficult season. And I'm like, how do you know when it's time to quit? <laughs> and so I mm-hmm. called him up. This is pre-cell phone time, okay? So I call him up, and, I, and he didn't answer. And he had a thing called an answer machine. Those are the things that we used to have back in the mm-hmm. day. And I just left this message. I said, hey, this is Dale. We're dying out here. Call back if you care. And I hung up. <laughs> Oddly enough, that night, he happened to be home, and he called me back. He said, man, what's wrong with you? I said, man, this is terrible. We, we can't pay our bills. We can't get bookings. How do you know when it's time to quit? And here's what he told me. He said, well, he said, Dale, did the Lord tell you to start? I said, yes, sir. He said, did the Lord tell you to quit? I said, no, sir. He said, do you want to honor the Lord with your life? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, it sounds to me like you need to hang in there till he tells you to quit or else you'll just have to start over and you'll be further behind. Carl, that's (laughs) driven me for 40 years, brother. (laughs) Okay. Now, can you give me a piece of ministry advice that's easier than that? <laughs> no, it don't get any no, easier. That's the way it goes. It's that just the way, the way it is. It you know, when you when you feel like quitting, you, you know, you just gotta remember he's the one that called yeah. you, he's the one that's equipped you. And then the other thing that happens in life is, you know, sometimes it, God's moving in other things, situations in other people's lives for doors to open for you that you just gotta wait. I do remember this. You remember the song that used to be, and it still may be out. And I always say this, and I know I'm gonna make somebody mad, but I'm gonna say it anyway. There used to be this song that said, When God closes a door, look for a window. That's really bad advice. If God closes a door, just wait till God opens another door. Don't look for the smallest way to get out of the situation. Yeah. Just yeah. wait. And, and, and I've learned and now that I'm 60, that Jesus is not in a hurry. Yeah. And that's helpful. Very true. Very true. Last question. What's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? Oh, good. We could talk for hours about that. <laughs> for me personally, it has to be around one of the Easter celebrations where Jesus was going through the roof and the, the pulley stopped until Jesus is he's ascended to heaven. He gets hung halfway up and, and we're just, we just take the hazer and just try to cover him up so we can go pull him up manually. But that was by far one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> that'll work. That'll work. Hey, if anybody needs to get a hold of you to follow up on anything, what's the best way to find you? Dale at 95network.org and use the numbers nine and five. Dale at 95network.org is the best way to, to get in touch with me and just go to our website, 95network.com, oh, .org, I'm sorry. All right. Thanks, buddy. Good to have you on again. Anytime, man. Well, there you go. Conversation with Dale always holds a few surprises and not a few laughs (laughs) and a bunch of stuff that I never saw coming. Some key takeaways from me include the importance of making sure that you, pastor, are healthy first. This is a passion of mine. It is a passion of Dale's. If that's where you are and you think you could use some help with soul care, I encourage you to seek out 95 Network, go to their website and find what they offer for soul care. It will be a big help to you. Another takeaway for me is the fact that there is so much going on that we can learn right now if we will pay attention to it. This can be one of the greatest learning periods we've ever had for churches. Another takeaway for me was the importance of accurately defining your congregation's current reality. It's one of the jobs of a leader is to define reality. If we think we are the church we used to be, then we're at a wrong starting point. We are no longer the church we used to be. We need to accurately assess where we are right now, numerically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, as far as our teams are concerned. Get an accurate picture where you are right now. It may be difficult. It may be painful even to acknowledge. But if you don't have an accurate starting point, you cannot understand where you're going. And then also a takeaway for me was the importance of investing our very limited time and energy in doing the things that help our church move forward instead of looking backwards. 
This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.